0: From ESPN Films and ESPN Audio, you're listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. Today, the story of a photograph taken in a hotel ballroom by the NBA's Miami Heat. It's a photo that can be seen as the opening bracket of a new era of athlete activism. But more than that, the -the behind-the-scenes story of how and why this photo came to exist tells us a lot about our current moment in history and what happens when celebrity, politics, and sports come together in a single image. And now, hoodies up.
1: Do you have any doubts
2: about your decision? Um, no. I don't have any doubts at all.
0: Would you like to sleep on it a little longer, or are you ready to make this decision? Oh, no, I've slept enough, or the lack of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> the decision, July 8th, 2010. LeBron James, a native of Northeast Ohio, announces that he is leaving the Cleveland Cavaliers.
1: The answer to the question everybody wants
2: to know. LeBron, what's your decision? In um, this fall, man, this is very tough. In um, this fall, I'm gonna take my town to South Beach and uh,
0: join the Miami Heat. Miami Heat. Cavs fans felt a deep betrayal.
3: Honestly, I think it was very arrogant, and I think it was a slap in the face to the city who supported him and been behind him since he was in high school.
4: I hope he never wins any championships wherever he's at because he's a loser, he's not a winner. And if you
5: decided that you wanted to go play in Miami, you could have did it in private.
0: Then, two days later, Chris Bosh announced that he was headed to Miami to join LeBron and Dwayne Wade. The decision was widely seen as a clumsy announcement of a cynical choice. Three superstars joining up to form a super team.
2: Uh, we're going to make the world know, not just this league, we're going to make the world know that the heat is back.
0: Bomani Jones and Wesley Morris, who both write about sports and culture.
5: And we can't forget that they were kind of the villains of the NBA at this point. They were the villains of the league at the time. Everybody hated them. And they were dominant. And they knew it. And the means by which that team came together was just so loathsome and tasteless.
1: But we also know you three kings came down here to win championships. Not one, championships. Not two. LeBron, tell us about that.
2: Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven.
0: But that first year, the Heat did not bring home a championship.
1: Marion dribbles it out, and a celebration will begin. The Dallas Mavericks are NBA champions. We While you see for the Miami Heat a
0: stunning ending to one of the more compelling seasons in NBA history, a bitter finish. After that loss in their first year, the Heat and their Big Three of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh started to figure it out. By the 2012 All-Star Game, the Heat were tied for the best record in the league. TNT's coverage of All-Star Weekend continues on the 67-degree overcast day. James, Bosh, and Wade were all scheduled to play in that All-Star Game.
1: The big three of the Miami Heat, and they've been playing at a different level.
0: Since the game was in Orlando, a lot of their followers had made the trip up from South Florida to watch. One of them was a 17-year-old Heat fan named Trayvon Martin. His father is Tracy Martin.
6: Everybody knew me as Big Trey and him as Lil' Trey. Um, we, 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 shared a, we shared something. Um,
0: he wasn't a junior, but you, know, you couldn't tell him he wasn't a junior. Trayvon had recently been suspended from school. His father, Tracy, had sent him from Miami to Orlando to stay with Tracy's girlfriend for a few days. Tracy thought, since the All-Star game was in town, it would be okay for Trayvon to go to some of the festivities.
6: I just I just didn't want him sitting at home uh, while he was suspended. So for Trayvon to go and experience being around the NBA players, being around that atmosphere, uh, being around a lot of professional people, I, I think I just thought that would give him a sense of humbling himself as far as his schoolwork and, and getting back and getting back on the right page.
0: Trayvon and his family did what they could to see their favorite athletes in person. They had did a few events, uh, went to a
6: couple of practices, a couple of press conferences and things of that nature. Just to, for them to get a chance to see players from across the league, that, that was something special to them.
0: That Sunday night, Trayvon didn't have tickets to the All-Star game itself. So he watched on TV from 22 miles away at his father's girlfriend's house in Sanford.
6: He had been watching the pre-game festivities, and he decided that he wanted to go to the store and get him some snacks before the game actually came on.
1: And now, your Eastern Conference starters from the Miami Heat, LeBron James!
6: So Trayvon was, he was just downstairs just preparing himself to watch the game. He ended up leaving the house, going to the to the 7-Eleven, um, never to return again.
5: You can see from Sky Witness 9 HD, this was the scene at the retreat at Twin Lakes Townhomes in Sanford Sunday night. Residents heard loud yelling and called 911 for the Sanford police. Moments later, more 911 calls about a gunshot being fired. It
1: was in Sanford where the 17-year-old Crop High student was killed while visiting his father and stepmother. Kelly Nevins' son lives here and heard the shot. Sitting on the couch and uh, boom. Boom. Neighborhood watch captain George Zimmerman says he shot Martin in self-defense after confronting the teen who was not armed. The
5: police got here within a minute and found 17-year-old Trayvon Martin shot dead. Paramedics could not bring him back.
1: Sanford police maintain there is not enough evidence to make an arrest.
7: Baby faced Trayvon Martin was carrying Skittles and iced tea when he was shot by George Zimmerman.
4: In 2009, there was a young man who was killed in Chicago named Darion Al, but he was 16 years old.
0: Michael Skolnick is a civil rights activist.
4: Darion had been um, hit over the head with a two-by-four in a schoolyard fight or an after-school fight on the, outside the school. Fenger High School in Chicago.
0: Along with hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons, Skolnick helped run the website Global Grind. The website covered pop culture, but also serious social issues.
4: Someone had sent me a a cell phone video of this young man's death. When I saw the video, it had reminded me of a conversation that I had had about what happens when a young black or or, or brown kid dies in America and what happens when a white kid dies. For years, um, we had memorialized, and rightfully so, so many white children who had been killed and remembered their names. John Benet Ramsey was killed almost 20, over 20, 20 years ago, and we still know her name. Natalie Halloway at the time had been killed over a decade ago. We still knew her name. And when black kids were killed, they were statistics, they were numbers, or they were barely ever even mentioned. And so when I got this video of, of Darian Albert, this idea sort of hit me that we should create a series on Global Grind called He Has a Name. Ultimately became She Has a Name as well we published an article in 2009 called He Has a Name, Darion Albert, and that was it.
0: It wasn't long before Skolnick got a phone call from a woman in Queens, New York. She told him about her 13-year-old son, who'd been hit by a stray bullet walking home from school. Her son's name was Kevin Miller. And I wrote an article, He Has a Name, Kevin Miller.
4: And then Iana Jones gets killed in, in Detroit, a seven-year-old girl sleeping in, in, her, uh, in, her, in her bed with her grandmother. And we wrote an article. She has a name, Ayanna Jones. When a mother calls you or a father calls you crying on the phone um, and saying, I can't even afford the funeral. I can't even afford a headstone for my child. Um, And they're asking you, just can you please just like tell the world my child existed? My child, you know, lived 13 amazing years or 17 amazing years. Um, You don't forget it. And there were hundreds and then thousands and and Trayvon was I don't know article 922 article 874 just he has a name Trayvon Martin it was another death of another young black teenager in America that we covered
1: I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors money, corporate rivalry and a broom. So I'm going to tell it, Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
0: Trayvon Martin's death made the local news and was then picked up by Global Grind and just a few other national outlets. For weeks, there was no arrest in the case. Michael Skolnick's "He Has a Name" series continued, but he couldn't get the Trayvon Martin story out of his head. Somehow, some way, it, it felt different
4: than the ones we had covered before. Um, the ones we had covered before, many of them were, you know, um, you know, violence in the community. Some of them were police violence. Some of them were sort of, you know, mistaken identities.
7: Members of the African American community left outraged.
4: I see that white man. Can I stop? and detain that white man,
6: get in an argument, and shoot that white man to death.
4: What do you think?
6: I'm saying no, absolutely not. I would be in jail right now.
4: We had never heard of this thing, stand your ground law out of Florida, and you could, like, kill someone and say, I thought I was being threatened, therefore I'm innocent. It becomes racial because Zimmerman thought that black males with hoodies are criminals.
0: On Global Grind, Skolnick ended up writing a lot about Trayvon Martin. One of those articles went viral, and he was invited to do interviews on NPR and CNN.
1: The editor in chief of Global Grind, what do you want the message to be?
4: We now have the ability to organize ourselves, and right? so we can go to Twitter, we can go to Facebook, we can go to YouTube, and we can start talking to each other and saying, "Look, we want to talk about this issue now."
0: The Martin family continued to advocate for an arrest. In the press, and at a growing number of protests, they'd seen Michael Skolnick on TV talking about Trayvon's death. Before long, they reached out.
6: Michael Skolnick is a great friend of myself and Sabrina, our family. Mike, you know he 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 talked about a lot of the things, his vision of how he wanted to um, just keep this, keep the the Trayvon movement active in social media
0: skolnick arranged for trayvon's parents to meet with his boss russell simmons after that meeting skolnick pulled simmons aside
4: russell you and i need to pick up the phone and call every famous person we know and tell them to use the powers that they have any platform website social media print magazine interviews wherever they're going in the red carpets to talk about this young man who's been
0: killed Skolnick and Simmons went to work, and pretty quickly, they started to hear back from their celebrity contacts. One of them was the actress Gabrielle Union, at the time best known for the movies Bring It On and Bad Boys 2.
7: I'm Gabrielle Union. The first time I heard the name Trayvon Martin, uh, it was probably on Twitter. Um, And then, you know, living in uh, Florida, uh, it was on the news.
0: By the time Gabrielle Union and Skolnick and Russell Simmons spoke, Union had already been tweeting about the Martin story to her hundreds of thousands of followers. She was one of the first celebrities to do so. She was already all in.
7: She calls and she says, how can I help? What I remember is Michael and Russ reaching out to me.
4: And and the only thing that we were looking for at the time was just tweet his name, Trayvon Martin, Justice for Trayvon
7: as someone who's raising children, as someone who is a global citizen, as someone who gives a shit, it, it, was just, it was just a no-brainer.
0: Please, use your platforms just to say his name. As they talked, Union realized that whatever her own celebrity could do to call attention to Trayvon's story, her boyfriend's celebrity was even more powerful.
7: Being closely connected to one of the world's biggest athletes, there could be a potential for a much bigger statement than just um, the girl from Bring It On.
0: Her boyfriend, now husband, is Dwayne Wade.
3: My name is Dwayne Wade. At the time, I a Trayvon Martin shooting. I played for the Miami Heat. Me and my wife talk about, you know, everything.
7: He was a young boy.
3: Um, so, you know, when this happened, it's just, you know, no different. We sat down and we talked about it.
7: I know that our boys in the same situation, it could have turned out Exactly the same.
3: She understood the platform that we had.
7: I just implored my husband to um to take action and to talk to Braun to talk to Chris Bosch.
2: Me and LeBron was on the phone. We talked. Uh my name is LeBron James. Professional basketball player, father, husband, son, friend, philanthropist, all that. <laughs> We see our kids every day, you know, leave the house to go to school or leave the house to go play at a basketball game or a soccer game or leave the house to go to the movies. And for us to be like, hey, son, you know, you know, see you later. And then that doesn't happen. It, it, it would just it would kill us. It would kill us all as fathers. And we would feel like we didn't do what we had to do. We didn't hold our up end of the bargain by protecting our kids. And that that's why um, that's why I hit home for us. And the first conversations happened with um, myself, D-Wade, Donis Haslam. Uh, Donis Haslam, um, Miami Heat, power forward. You know, for me, it really hit home. I am a Miami kid, you know, that, that could have been me. You know, I, I didn't know him personally, but
0: my uh, family has some ties to his mother and father um, through church. Wade, James, and Haslam decided that they would use their social media accounts to send a message to millions of people. The message would be a photograph.
3: The thing that we felt was probably most impactful was all of us getting together as a Miami Heat team um, and posing with our hoods on.
2: We felt like it was the most powerful. We wanted to do it with the hoodies on, uh, with our heads down, in memory of.
0: They took their idea to the rest of the Heat. Joel Anthony, a center on that team, was there for the team meeting.
2: Made sure everyone was present, so that uh, those guys could explain what was
3: going on. We asked all of our teammates, um, what, you know, do they want to be a part of this, you
2: know, would they be a part of it? Bron, D. Wade, um, UD, those guys are the, some of the leaders on the court, but uh, off of it
3: as as well. When you're a team that's a championship caliber team, you are very close. You are very close. You guys know each other, you know, kids, you know each other. wives, significant others. So if I'm hurting... And Brown Turton, everyone is, because they know what
2: this means to us and what this means to our family. They knew we were knowledgeable about the issue. They knew we wouldn't bring nothing to the team that we didn't feel passionate about. Everyone was on board, you know, 100%. Every player on the team, no one got out of it. No one said, I can't be a part of
3: this. No matter what their background was, no matter what race they was, everybody did it. Because everybody understood
2: how important it was. So we had the support of everybody, but, you know, sometimes it's not going to be that easy. Sometimes you might not have everybody's support. You still have to stand up and do what you think is right.
3: We talked it over with our coaches before we did it. Me and LeBron, we went into our coaches and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We didn't ask. We said, this is what we're going to do. We want you guys to be aware of what we're doing um, because it may be backlash. And um, I think they understood. I think they understood that a moment like that was bigger than basketball.
0: The conversations took place throughout the third week of March, over a month since Trayvon's death. Still no arrest had been made in the case. But the Trayvon Martin story was getting more and more national attention. On March 23rd, Geraldo Rivera weighed in on Fox.
1: I am urging the parents of black and Latino youngsters particularly to not let their children go out wearing hoodies.
0: That same morning, President Obama was asked about the incident. Uh, I think all of us have to do some soul-searching to figure out how does something like this happen. You know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. And that night, a Friday, the Miami Heat were scheduled to play the Detroit Pistons.
2: It was actually game day. Uh, We was on a road, we was in a hotel. We took it in Detroit uh, right before we played the Pistons. You know, we had a shoot-around at the Palace of Auburn Hills, and then we got back. Um, You know, had our brunch We call it like our pregame brunch back at the hotel In like one of the ballrooms in the hotel
3: um, If you see the backdrop of it Or look at the picture, it's like in a ballroom
2: We've taken team pictures before So, you know, we have an idea On how to uh, line up LeBron, he's the
3: coordinator That's what he does He's He's the quarterback You know, you watch him play so he's directing it. You know, we figured out, hey, you be here, you be here, you be here. So he definitely directed it, put everybody in their position. Um, obviously, me and him being, you know, in the front. We're all
2: together. Everyone had their uh, had their hoodies.
3: And I think, I, if I remember correctly, one of my teammates didn't have this. Didn't, didn't come down in his hoodie. And it was like, we took a hoodie off one of the coaches who had it. Like, yo, we need a hoodie.
2: Got everyone lined up and, uh, and, uh, and took it. But I, I can't actually... I actually remember who, who actually took the photo.
0: Wade and James posted the photo on Twitter. As they got ready for their game with the Pistons, they knew the photo would start to go viral.
3: If I write it on my social media, if I put it on my Twitter, if I put it on my Instagram, if I say it on my Snapchat, oh, it gets across. You know, people are watching it.
0: Last month, a neighborhood watch officer shot and killed 17-year-old Florida teen Trayvon Martin. Today, attention to the story spread into the sports world. The photograph the Heat took featured 12 members of the team standing in two rows in front of that hotel ballroom wall. As you can see here, LeBron James took to Twitter. He posted a team photo of the Miami Heat clad in hoodies. Their hands are in their pockets, their hoods are up, and their heads are down. It's almost impossible to tell which player is which. In hoodies with the hashtag, WeAreTrayvonMartin. It was accompanied by the hashtag, WeAreTrayvonMartin.
6: The first time I seen the Miami Heat uh, with the hoods on, I was almost in tears.
7: I just remember just the immense pride that I had, not just for my husband and braun and and chris um but that it was the whole team.
6: Those guys never knew my son, but they were really willing to risk their reputation by 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 wearing the same cloth that symbolized why Trayvon got killed
4: it wasn't just Dwayne it wasn't just LeBron it was a whole team and that shit hit home
6: having having the Miami heat in those hoods that night man it it did something to me
4: here you have the biggest star in the world standing up for a racial justice moment
3: it is indicating that look this is getting to a point where even people who have something to lose feel that they have to say something
4: about it It becomes this, this photograph that everybody has to look at and everybody has to pay attention to because of who it is.
5: I remember like having this rush of, um, blood to my head and finding the, the image itself. So devastating And
0: also, just really as a photograph, perfect. The week of the photograph, Wesley Morris wrote an article for the website Grantland. The title, What We Talk About When We Talk About Hoodies. There's no statement
5: in the photograph. The photograph is a statement unto itself. There's no press conference to explain why or what. It isn't them all holding a sign that says, you know, we love you, Trayvon. It is just this image. The hands in the pockets, to me, is the most devastating thing in the picture because there's something about the way the heads are hung and the hands are in the pockets that just, like, it just, it connotes shame.
0: Martin had gone out to buy candy wearing a hooded sweatshirt, and all day long, thousands and thousands of people have been posting pictures of themselves wearing hoodies.
5: I was really hung up on the hoodie. I just, that hoodie is such a character... In this fiasco.
0: Bomani Jones. The one thing I remember about the image, they
3: all look so decidedly, for lack of a better term, regular.
5: I mean, one of the glorious things about it, and lots of things typically associated with black people, it has been mainstreamed unto meaninglessness. Like, the hoodies shouldn't really mean anything at this point, because we all wear them. That
3: is, like, quietly, that is one of the few articles of clothing when you think about that everybody
5: wears.
2: I don't know anyone that doesn't own a hoodie, and uh, that's just a, a form of attire. All of us athletes love putting on hoodies for comfort.
5: Well, in the context of, 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 of this story, it's a target. It is a symbol of or a signifier of, of a threat. Um, if your hood is down and you put it up, you have weaponized your, your garment. At least according to the George Zimmermans of the world. Um, and Trayvon, of course, is aware of this, and the hoodie goes up as a defense, right? Um, like, I don't want you to see me.
3: You know, sometimes you have a hoodie on, it's because of, you know, people do it for privacy, or you do it because it's late. You just say, you ain't looking the way you wanna look, or you're tired. You put a hood on. At some point, you know, everyone has put a hood
5: on. And yet it is still a loaded garment. And a lot of black people who wear it know that to be the case and if they didn't know it in 2012 they definitely know it now
6: I think Trayvon's story uh, was the story that woke America up not only black America but America in general all the meat was in the pot all the potatoes were in the pot that pot was just waiting on someone to turn it on, and it just so happened when uh, the killer of our son uh, went home to sleep in his bed that night. That turned the pot on.
7: That ignited the fire. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives the conversation just never ends because the the murder of black you know people uh, never ends. So um, the photo was just a uh, one rock in a very long pathway.
0: The photo helped push the Martin story and the deaths of young black men to a new level of cultural attention. It also resonated deeply in the sports world, sparking a conversation about when and how athletes should address political issues. Michael Wilbon responding to the photo on Pardon the Interruption. For
4: decades now, we had gone into this place, and I'm talking about famous black people, where there was a fear, particularly athletes, a fear of offending other patrons, their owners, the league. And at one point in time, guys like Russell, Alcindor, Chamberlain, Jim Brown, Oscar Robertson, Muhammad Ali, they
1: led the discussion of any cultural discussion, whether it was political or not, and then there was a fear of it. I'm glad the Heat players weren't afraid. I, I, I want to focus a little bit on LeBron, who's obviously one of the organizers. His reputation throughout the country is as, as a
0: very selfish person. This is not a selfish act. And I wonder if LeBron will be applauded for this. For Bamani Jones, the act of taking the photo was not necessarily a shift for LeBron James. In a way, it connected back to a moment two years earlier, the decision to leave Cleveland and go to Miami in the first place. And I wonder, I mean, I very often wonder, if that
3: had not gone over the way it did, how does it go with this Trayvon Martin situation? Because I think LeBron had developed an awareness by the time 2012 came around that all the affection he had gotten from people prior to that was pretty conditional.
7: And with that team in in particular, you know, from 2010 with Bron's decision for taking agency over his life, uh, you realize people are going to talk, but fuck them.
2: You know, for me, I think that's yeah, just a sign of growth, you know, and uh, I don't know if this if this was the moment that sparked something for me to speak upon social issues. Um, I know, um, you know what I like to talk about. I, I have to be educated about issues. I, I think it all starts from an individual being comfortable in their own skin and knowing who they are.
4: As Harry Belafonte said, "When the movement is strong, the music is strong. When the movement is strong, the music is strong.
7: When the fans start having conversations, and whether that's you know on social media or you know at the sports bar, um, those are the conversations that we need to move the needle forward."
4: At this point in America, on March 26, 2012, the movement was strong, and the music had to respond to the movement. And the music was the Miami Heat putting the hoodies up. We stand in solidarity with this young man and this family. And that's because the movement was strong. And we hadn't seen a movement this strong in 30-plus years.
5: I do think this photograph sits at the same table as as the photo of Tommy Smith and John Carlos from the 68 Olympics, where they're on the podium raising their fists. It is a protest photo. It is a, it is a photo that simultaneously... Embraces being American while criticizing a certain aspect of living in this country.
2: I know Muhammad Ali and, and you know, and Jackie Robinson and Oscar Robinson and you know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Jim Brown. I know those guys spoke about a lot of stuff going on in their days, and um, and then I know after their reign, the conversation kind of stopped. You know, certain athletes didn't speak upon things, and that's okay. I mean, it's it's to each his own. Um, but if this photo and if this moment was the um, rekindle of the fire for athletes to speak upon things, then um, we, I guess we did our job.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. My name is Jody Avergan. ESPN Films senior producer Aaron Leiden is our series editor. This story was edited with help from Keith Romer, and Taylor Barfield was the production assistant. Mixing, sound design, and original music for this episode by Ryan Ross Smith. The 30 for 30 podcast team also includes Kate McAuliffe, Vin D'Anton, Ryan Nantel, Andrew Mambo, and Julia Lowry-Henderson who I want to thank for doing a lot of the reporting on this episode while I was out on paternity leave. Connor Schell and Libby Geist are executive producers for ESPN Films. Adam Newhouse is director of development. The ESPN Films team includes Deirdre Fenton, Jenna Anthony, Catherine Sankey, Jennifer Thorpe, and Colin Fleming. The ESPN Audio team includes Trog Keller, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Gianessini, and Ryan Graner. Special thanks to ESPN's Ryan Hurley, Ray Dinahan, RJ Santillo, Rodney Belazar, Tony Chow, and Kate LaRue. Louise Argianis, Jason Helig, Paul Williard, and Alex Bowen do archival research. Roger Jackson provides fact checking. We got production support from Christopher Blank, Chloe Persinos, and Rose Eveleth. Special thanks to Adam Mendelson and Ben McGrath. Our theme music was composed by Rishikesh Hirwe of Song Exploder. We're posting lots of extras on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can sign up for the newsletter through our website, 30for30podcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to 30 for 30 podcasts in the ESPN app or Apple podcast to not miss an episode. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30.